Hey, it's Hound Radio's Lou Katz. I hope you're having a wonderful holiday season. If you're in the mood to go see the new Spielberg film, The Fablemans, we have a very special podcast hosted by this guy. Enjoy. Hey, this is WTOP's Jason Fraley, and this is a special version of this podcast because uh, Steven Spielberg's semi-autobiographical movie, The Fablemans, comes out in movie theaters nationwide today, you know, to kick off Thanksgiving weekend. So I wanted to have two of my best movie pals on here. Uh, first, <laughs> with me here on the East Coast, uh, Arch Campbell, the longtime uh, movie uh, critic from NBC4, so, ABC. So happy to be with you. Yes, thank you. And everyone, check out uh, Arch and Lou Katz's podcast at the movies. Uh, Oliver Jones and I are on it all the time. And that sets yeah. up the other introduction on the West Coast in LA. Oliver Jones, Observer.com. He's done stuff for People Magazine. And of course, son of Davy Marlin Jones, a name everyone, legendary critic people know in this area. Oliver, thanks. I'm just spending entirely too much time with you people, and I love it. <laughs> I feel like I see you guys like every week now or every other week. Yeah. We're the three amigos. There you go. Campbell, Jones, Fraley, <laughs> the movies. <laughs> um, but today the name is Spielberg. Uh, Oliver, mm. I know, has seen uh, The Fablemans, and I'm dying to mm. see it. Arch, you said you're going to see it on Thanksgiving Day, right? I cannot wait. I think it's arriving uh, with without needing a review because the early word is so good on it that it is the Oscar contender and everything else is in second place. And as well, you know, I'm thinking about this podcast with you, Spielberg is today's answer to Frank Capra. All of his films have that that certain of uh, uh, humanity or emotion. And uh, this being a family story, uh, uh, I'm in. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. And Oliver, and you saw it too. Uh, well, do you do you want to do you want to share your reaction? Let's share the reaction to the Fablemans at the top, and then we can go through Spielberg's career because, mm -hmm. in a way, this is sort of the Spielberg origin story. So this can sort of set up the rest of his career, really. Well, you know, it, this this film was very moving uh, on on several levels, but for me, probably the most profound. Um, aspect to this movie is that, you know, the the ur text or even the text of Steven Spielberg's movies almost since the very beginning has been divorce and the breakup of the family and what the family means and all the forces that are that are pushing against the family and this is true in his um, you know celebrated works like uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind and E.T. and even true of his. Um, lesser celebrated works like uh, War of the Worlds and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And that's, of course, a very bitter, very angry movie. That'll and, rip your uh, heart out, divorce. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it's a, it's a movie that, you know, is bitter on so many levels, especially towards children. But uh, this movie is different in the respect that he's trying to understand something that's haunted him his whole life. The movie begins with a seven-year-old Sammy Fableman uh, living in New Jersey, uh, watching the, his first movie ever in a movie theater, The Greatest Show on Earth, and becoming obsessed with the train crash, so much so that his mother devises the idea for him to shoot a film of uh, his own model train crashing. And in some respects, all of the Fablemans is that exact idea. You know, the, the thing that was causing him so much anxiety as a child was this train crash. Now he is so many years removed from this divorce, directing it, right? Controlling it all over again and making all the choices and trying to trying to feel in control of this moment where his um, 
where his life both started and got away from him at the same time. Uh, and it's a, um, you know, I think as, as anyone who has thought about these issues or really as anyone who has um, had Spielberg's movies sort of um, play as a light motif through their lives, will find this very moving. But even if you didn't know any of that, if you if you didn't um, sort of consider film history or or what divorce plays in the in the movies of Spielberg, it's such a amazingly crafted film. Uh, and mm. um, this is this is the last movie he's he's going to make with John Williams, and the John Williams score is fascinating, uh, very very adroit, very different. You know, um, he he borrows a lot of ideas from Scott Joplin, the entertainer, you know, mm -hmm. um, it, it has a, um, it has a sort of different purpose and feeling, but, um, but really I think this movie, what will stick with people will most is Michelle Williams, not, ju not just the way that she plays this character who seems <laughs> like such a singular character that, that uh, is unlike, uh, anyone that anyone's ever met, and and so many people in Los Angeles has have met Mitzi, who used to run a um, kosher restaurant, um, mm. Milk and Honey, uh, out here in L.A. and uh, and so we've we've known her. You know, um, of course, this is not a movie he probably could have made before while she was still alive. Um, mm. It was it was a movie that ne she needed, I think, to pass before he would be, he was able to maybe confront it. Um, wow. But it was it's not just her performance, but the way that he presents her and frame her, frames her, you know, we're all familiar at this point in our lives with the um, Spielberg face, you know, the push into the wide eyed face yeah. of wonder, you know, uh, and, it, and it has changed its meaning, you know, uh, many times throughout uh, Spielberg's career, <clears throat> you know, moving from a sort of uh, uh, a wondrous look to a terrified look. And now in the hands of uh, Michelle Williams, at this point in, in Spielberg's career, it's a look that's tinged with with guilt uh, and um, and sort of a fear about life's choices. Uh, it's a it's a more mature understanding of what that look means and how that look can be unleashed. And in in addition to dealing with sort of um, guilt, it also deals with or around family. It deals with guilt around Jewishness and Jewish identity. Uh, and and Spielberg's understanding of of what his Jewishness is, the ways in which he's run away from his Jewishness, and the way that he has embraced his Jewishness through his life. Um, so you know, it's a it's a great movie to watch. It's a wonderful movie to think about, and it's also a great movie to consider just for its craft elements. Wow. I want to throw two Jason Fraley observations. Jason Fraley-like observations into this. First <laughs> is the choosing of the name Fableman. Uh, is is this a fable? And secondly, <laughs> that uh, Spielberg would choose, uh, and I think this is from his life, to pay homage to the greatest show on earth, which is uh, the Oscar winner, that uh, people like Jason say shouldn't have won. Well, when <laughs> you have singing else. in the rain come out at yeah. high noon, it's hard. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. But... <laughs> uh, so, so there you are. That those are my two observations. Other than I'm in, I'm in for this. I love these family stories. I think we've all got our own rich family story that's just full of what ifs and whys. Yeah. And, 
oh my goodness and uh and and this is the time of year that we all go back in our minds to think of those things because of thanksgiving when we would all get together right, right. Well, so, it sounds like so it sounds what, like a bit of a crowning achievement. Quality is subjective, of course, of where you would uh-huh. rank it, Oliver, against all of his other great works. But um, at least in terms of you know all of the themes that he's been grappling with in his brain and in his heart and soul. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned you know the love of cinema, divorce, and and family strife, and and then you said tackling his own Jewishness, grappling with that. You know, those are through lines that we're gonna see pop up throughout this podcast mm-hmm. as we do a chronological look through some of his his works um uh, but, but but also to, to arch's point you know i mean um the uh our greatest show on earth and the train wreck it's also an explanation of um spectacle and set pieces right and 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 the part that spectacle and set pieces are not just a part of our sort of um you know, getting get, getting money out of people who want to go see movies. It's also something that's ingrained deep in his brain somewhere, uh, as as something that is an essential aspect of of how he looks at the world and processes the world. So, in some respects, the um, that film is a um, explanation and a celebration of the idea of cinema spectacle. Absolutely, and uh, it was. Directed by Cecil B. DeMille, and uh, Spielberg was ready for his push-in close-ups, as you, as you said, <laughs> DeMille. And what do you think of my fable connection, Jason? Because that sounds like something you would come up with. I think it's something that Arch came up with. <laughs> um, I think that seems like it'd be a sort of a fable. But um, uh, I liked your earlier comparison to Capra, because I feel like that is sort of like yeah. the, the comp in terms of, you know, the feel-good uh, right. Americana um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, name recognizability, um, if you ask a stranger on the street, you know, name a director, they're going to say Steven Spielberg. I mean, would, right. would you, I mean, right. would you guys agree the most famous, um, you know, filmmaker of all time, maybe other than Alfred Hitchcock or, you know, if you, you know, Orson Welles, there's, there's names, Fellini's that, you know, that, that film buffs love. But if you ask a mainstream person on the street, Spielberg's prop, he takes the cake. I you know, was thinking about Oliver's point about the theme of divorce through all of his films. And the first time I heard, really heard about Spielberg was in 1974 for the Sugarland Express, mm-hmm. which was the first movie he really got a lot of attention for. And if you recall, that's Goldie Hawn, and it's based on the true story of a woman in Texas who breaks her husband out of jail and kidnaps her child so that they can be a family together. Mm-hmm. And uh, along the way, she kidnaps a policeman, and pretty soon it's it's a string. It's like one million police following uh, this poor woman uh, trying to put her family back together. That was early on. That was 1974, almost 50 years ago. There you and go, putting so, the family back together right from the start. Oliver, you know? you're, you're right on the money there. Absolutely. So we had Sugarland Express in 74. And then, of course, he had done, you know, Duel, the TV movie with the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the killer <laughs> truck chase. That was but, a um, huge thing. Uh, it was the ABC movie of the week. ABC was the weakest network. And I happened to have been a television booth announcer at the time. <laughs> there was oh. a job where they would pay you to sit in a booth, uh, record the times of the commercials and then uh every 30 minutes go wfaa tv channel eight 
Dallas. <laughs> so you were you were dueling with Duel. <laughs> I was, and then I got I saw Duel with a fan, and as a television movie, it was uh, it broke the mold. There was nothing yeah. like it. Yes. And and the the villain, the character, is this giant truck. And to this day, when I go down I-81, I still think, oh my <laughs> God, that truck is coming for me. Yeah. Well, you know, you know what? The uh if a really cool fun fact that I'm sure a lot of Spielberg fans know is you know, when the shark is sinking in jaws, he put a little bit of that sound effect of duel of going <laughs> of the truck going down. You can actually hear it. But uh, that segues us into, you know, the first big movie masterpiece in his career that I wanted to discuss. His big breakthrough, of course, uh, was, was was Jaws, 1975, right. sort of invented the summer blockbuster as we know. It's still one of the mm -hmm. top 10 grocers of all time if you adjust for inflation. Um, but, you know, uh, to me, it's one of those great examples of, the, you know, that whole less is more idea because the shark didn't work. Oh, Bruce did, was malfunctioning in the water. But it forced Spielberg... <laughs> With that John Williams two-note, dunna, dunna, it forced them to do those underwater POV shots that were so much scarier. And then you see the bodies get yanked underwater. That that it's so much scarier than than if you had seen the shark um, the the entire time. Of course, you get you know the, Oliver mentions the close-ups, but uh, here Spielberg does sort of the vertigo effect, which is that dolly in and zoom out makes Chief Brody look like he's gonna you know detach from the image when he sees that shark attack. Right. Um, <laughs> But it, it's a piece of work. The USS Indianapolis speech, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfuss, Roy Scheider. I mean, it, it's it's great. But what are your guys' thoughts on Jaws? Uh, Oliver, I know you had a chance to see it recently in the theater. Yeah, it was the uh, first time daughter, I ever right? saw it. For some reason, um, for some reason I, I just thought that God was waiting for the right time for me to see Jaws. <laughs> so uh, I finally saw it when it came out this year in um, in uh, 3D, uh, mm. um, IMAX, um, and uh, – I saw it with my daughter Clementine, and we both had so much fun. I mean, I've had, I've had lots of wonderful experiences, even recently at the movie theater. But that really ranks up there. Uh, but the the thing about that movie, right? It, it can't really be separated from the absolute chaos of making it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was it was just an absolute, you know, crap show. And it was, um, and part of what he was able to do was negotiate complete chaos you know with a, with an understanding of what the through line was what what was going to make them get them through that experience and also get you through that movie and and i i think part of i like some of the most powerful american art you know uh, from from painters like jackson pollock to to jazz uh artists like miles davis is about touching chaos and controlling it and and somehow um, making something that makes sense out of it. And I think even in a goofy beach shark movie, you know, he was able to do something uh, that, you know, great and particularly great American artists tend to do. Yeah. And, and, and uh, still holds up with that, you know, d during the pandemic that, you know, that, that mayor who wants to keep the beaches open, you know, takes on a whole new meaning. <laughs> exactly. Now. So, Don't do tell you have anybody. any memories It'll of. It'll be fine. Arch, do you have any memories of when that first came? Because I, you know, I, I would have killed to be to be alive and see that in the theater. And I think I'm thinking it was at movies. the Uptown Theater, and I'm thinking that was where uh, the newspaper first took note of the, of the lines that because the Uptown is a single screen theater, so people would line up around the block, thus the name Blockbuster, and uh, 
The other thing I'm really remembering about Jaws that uh, has lasted is uh, that in Spielberg movies, the music is a character of the movie. So certainly in Jaws, you know, duh, duh, that, that music is a character. But uh, you can find uh, the importance of music through uh, all of, uh, of Spielberg's uh, films. And, uh, and I think that's one of the things that makes him so great. Absolutely. And that that uh, in, uh, maybe second only so similar to what Psycho did, you know, make Psycho, you yeah. scared of taking a shower with that theme. Uh, this one made people scared to go in the water. There, there, there's there's few movies that inspire actual phobias where you, you can have uh, kids who you can have kids <laughs> today who never Jaws. seen. Right. Exactly. But there's kids that have never <laughs> seen Jaws. That will swim up uh -huh. in a swimming pool going, dunna, dunna. It's just, and, just, and any people who've never seen Psycho will go, wait, wait. It's just become part of our, our shorthand, our culture. But, but the other thing is in 1975, everybody was talking about Jaws. It was on, it was everybody's conversation. And that's one of the things I miss today. Yeah. The, that movies really aren't uh, at the forefront of, of a conversation the way Jaws was. Have you seen Jaws? Have you seen Jaws? Oh, my God. The audience went crazy. Oh, and when that shark, oh, man, they screamed, and I yeah. jumped at, you know, I love that. What's interesting, Arch, is that now, you know, his his previous film, uh, West Side Story, uh, was, was not well-watched, right? It was kind of a flop. You know, uh, th there was some talk about this uh, film, Fableman's... Um, uh, on four theaters, having a a, a lower uh, per screen average than Black Panther, you know, opened uh -huh. across the country. Mm -hmm. That yeah. now Spielberg is becoming the thing that he killed, right? He's becoming art house. <laughs> um, <laughs> funny how that works. He's, he's becoming specialty cinema, uh, which is which is very odd to think, it, you know, <laughs> that the most populous artist of our time is suddenly becoming a um, you know, a a a, a small are uh, you know a a, a uh, an artist for people who love and talk about movies rather than uh, um, an artist for everyone you know that that is on the lips of every single you know person in the world. It's such a that, and that's, that's why I love point. Oliver Jones, by the way, because he'll be <laughs> making a joke and making yeah. you laugh, and suddenly he will say something absolutely profound, and Big that time. is profound. That's, that's very profound. He's become what he's I'm the thing he killed. Become yeah. the thing he killed. Well, I'm gonna do my best segue into the next one based off of two things that, that you guys did. Arch, I'm, you meant I'm trying to go into close encounters of third uh -huh. kind here, fellas, in 1977. So, Arch, uh, my segue from yours is you were talking about the music with dun, dun, two notes. Well, this one uh -huh. had five notes. Dun dun right. dun dun dun. <laughs> and uh, to segue out of Oliver's mentioning of the uh -huh. Fablemans, uh, I believe uh, John Ford plays a role in the Fablemans. And man, in in close encounters, I really think there's that you can see the John Ford searcher's impact on uh, Spielberg. You know when that door opens and that orange glow comes in uh, as the aliens are about to abduct the kid. That is so, so textbook homage to the beginning of the searchers. You know, when the Comanches are coming in that sunset, orange, look, you could line them up side by side and it looks the same. Right. But what do you guys remember of Close Encounters? I mean, Mashed Potato Mountains, Devil's Tower, the big spaceship. Um, but to me, my little two cents would be that I, 
I like that the climax isn't some big big battle like Independence Day mm-hmm. or War of the Worlds. It's it's it in the end it comes down to you know a movie about just you know communication. They're trying to talk to the aliens through music and sound effects, and you got Truffaut there doing it. Like uh, yeah. But what what's your guys' impression of of, of well, that? Well, and there's a marriage theme, of course, Oliver, right? Mm-hmm. And I really think that probably almost as much as any actor. You know, I, I I believe the little kid in that movie, uh, Carrie Guffey, sort of ended up defining that face about as well as anyone did. I mean, he he sort of um, the the face of that kid in that movie became the sort of um, uh, the primordial mass, right, from which all of those shots came afterwards. You know, he just fell in love with that kid's face and and found ways to make it talk in so many different ways. Of course, now you mentioned Truffaut was in the film. Uh, David mm-hmm. Lynch is in Fablemans, you know, uh, so uh. that's an interesting, uh, you know, again, both from the art house, you know, coming into uh, um, mainstream from an ultimate mainstream director. You know, I can't imagine a lot of big studio directors being able to convince, you know, one of the kings of the new wave and one of the kings of of outside culture you know to show up and 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 be in their movies that's a really good uh tie in there um and yeah i mean it's uh it, and i think it another cool thing is it's one of the few spielberg movies where he actually wrote the script i believe he wrote at least one of the drafts of the close encounter script and uh and i, I was i actually interviewed douglas trumbull who designed the spaceship not to mention all mm. the uh you know the mm-hmm. 2001 space odyssey all those yeah movies. Um, before he died, um, and uh, he was saying that 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 script was based on you know actual you know accounts of UFO sightings in Area 51 and all that kind of stuff. So when you watch it, you know when when Richard Driver is pulling up to the train tracks and all the stuff in the car, the radio is going haywire and the you know the train track lights are going like you, it feels almost like a documentary of Close Encounters, if that makes sense. You know what I'm saying, guys? I've always had it's... this theory that directors had um, actors in their films, you know, when directors had actors in their films repeatedly, one was who they were and one was who they wanted to be. Uh, And I always (laughs) thought that Richard Dreyfuss was who he was and Harrison Ford was who he wanted to be. (laughs) Well, Um, thanks for teeing up the segue because the next big one I want to mention is Raiders of the Lost Ark in 1981. Um, Now now you skipped one that I want to mention very quickly, and that's 1941. Wasn't that right before Raiders? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was the first time he stubbed his toe. He had, (laughs) it was, it was Belushi and the Saturday Night Live crowd. And it was uh, based on, uh, on the paranoia after uh, Pearl Harbor Day on the West Coast. And Belushi played some out of control uh, guy uh, running around crazy in California. And there were all kinds of stunts in it. And I went. I remember going to a preview at the KB Cinema, and the crowd walked out, and someone in the crowd shouted, "That sucked!" <laughs> yeah, which is not what you associate with the Spielberg movie, but it was a Spielberg comedy, and and it didn't work. If the, the word had been a, a negative word with three syllables as opposed to one, it might have been my father. Uh, uh, <laughs> was he at that screening and uh, with I, you? I think he was and he just completely despised that film and uh-huh. and that was heartbreaking to me at the time because um 
John Belushi was an idol of mine. You know, um, right. for little hyperactive kids, you know, we didn't have a lot of um, uh, examples in the world. And, and John Belushi was one of them. <laughs> so to think that such a, you know, great director and such a significant actor for me uh, had, had uh, teamed together to create, to lay such an egg was extremely disappointed. But and now, as, as someone who, who is fascinated with um, Los Angeles history, you know, that moment of that paranoia that was very mm -hmm, real mm -hmm. in L.A. Oh, in yeah. Santa Barbara, yeah. And all the crazy things that they did. It's a great idea. I mean, it would make a good, you know, miniseries or something. It's a really good idea. Uh -huh. uh, but mm -hmm. it was um, it was a terrible movie. So you're saying uh, Belu you're saying Belushi should have left it as it was the Animal House line. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? <laughs> <laughs> left well, it as a line case, rather than make yes, a movie. Out. I just it was the, I, I had never seen an audience so angry. Yeah, uh, that they were actually screaming outside of the theater, and right. uh, and so you know, I I think we should uh, admit that uh, comedy is not Spielberg's uh, milieu. Yes, yeah. it's. I think he's better off when he when it's a different genre that pep that peppers the comedy in. You know, like a Raiders of the Lost Ark is an adventure right, movie, right? With moments of comedy, indie indie blasting the sword fighter with a gun, or you know what I mean? Now, right. the, the coat hanger. On the other hand, I was at the exact same theater opening night of Raiders of the Lost Ark, and everybody went in there cold because it was 1981, and movies at that time really weren't pre-hyping the way they do now right. and the movie starts and that scene begins with the boulder and as the boulder is rolling <laughs> after harrison ford the audience just went berserk wow. they yeah. just people were just giddy i can't even begin to tell you the sound i heard in there but it was sort of a <laughs> was that one of those life-changing uh screenings arch for you i mean one of the you big were there ones? oliver right well uh, uh it was it, it was at the kb cinema and the one that i remember uh it was um yes it was several months before uh the movie came out no one had heard or knew anything about the movie oh you it went to a critic a, screening it was a, it was a really early screening right uh and it was a um and you know it had a strange name you know, I, I stuttered at the time, you know, so I could hardly explain it to my friends on my soccer team at Stoddard, uh, you know, who, um, what this movie was and, and what that first five minutes was and what, yeah. you know, but I remember as I walked out of the cinema theater, I turned to my dad and I said, that's the kind of movie I would want to make if I could get enough people to work for me. Wow. Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. Nice. It I is. Guess. I mean, I'm I, I'm with you guys. I mean, it was. Uh, I mean, of course, I, I I didn't get to sadly see that one in theaters. I was born. I was a Temple of Doom baby. I was born in '84. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um. But man, uh, Indiana Jones. Even so, you know, went back, double back, and caught him on VHS. No, no, uh, you the were the Lost Ark. Yeah, I'm the Lost Ark. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, Indiana Jones was still my. I mean, my my childhood hero. Just the idea of this guy finding you know biblical artifacts before the Nazis can. Um, it's just it's it's awesome. Um, and you mentioned Temple of Doom earlier. You know, is I guess it was the first PG-13 movie, a bizarre, dark movie in many ways. There's parts of it I like. You know, in short rounds, having it come back this year. They were gonna have to give the sequel an R, yeah. and uh, Jack Valenti. Uh, came up with uh, PG thirteen. Yeah. So I turned uh, I turned thirteen uh, the week that that movie came out. 
Uh, wow. So uh, I was I, I was allowed to go, right? Uh, I also remember, I don't know if you remember this, Arch, but there used to be a store next to um, Olson's Book and Tape Annex in Georgetown. I think it was called Hats in the Belfry. It was a hat yeah. shop. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, you know, they, they, the entire shop was just overtaken with Indiana Jones hats. <laughs> um, yeah. and, uh, and everyone was, uh -huh. would, like, crowd into the hat shop. I mean, can you imagine such a thing? No, you know, no, uh, crazy. Going to a hat shop. Um, Hats in the Belfry, I remember. Well, you know, the, the American Film Institute ranked him the number two hero, movie hero of all time behind Atticus Finch. But uh, if you want to count action heroes, I mean, it, it's Indiana Jones. I even really like the the third one, The Last Crusade, with the bon with the father-son banter with him and Sean Connery. Mm. I, it was hilarious. You know, don't call me Junior. And then the, right. the, th yeah, the, three, <laughs> the three steps to get the Holy Grail, you know, only penitentiary men will pass I, I i i really i dig that i dig the whole th original trilogy you know even the second one was sort of a it's a bizarre movie but uh number one but raiders the first and one yeah yeah broke the mold the yeah. first one and for its time the first one was like nothing else yeah 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 agreed all right and then so the the year after <laughs> raiders of the lost ark which is just an amazing amazing movie with melting faces and everything but um and the john williams score dun, 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 i mean how can we forget that but uh 82 the next year et the extraterrestrial comes out oh, um and well, man what a magical movie it, it, one of the most immortal children's movies ever made you know we got the child of divorce Absolutely. meeting this friend and the iconic shot of the bike across the moon which became the amblin logo so of course mm -hmm. um by the way, he also wrote Poltergeist, the script for Toby Hooper to direct that same year. So we had that suburban, you know, uh, riding bikes around the street sort of an idea. Um, but the thing, last thing I want to mention before I toss it to you guys is um, I heard Spielberg joking one time about a nice Jewish boy making Christ allegories because, because you think about <laughs> yeah. Elliot. Elliot, Elliot discovers E.T. Okay. E. like in a barn, like a stable. He watches him perform these miracles. He walks on water, which is the bikes in the sky. He dies, resurrects, and ascends to the heavens. <laughs> right, right. But uh, what were your memories of E.T. when it came out? I remember that performance uh, by Henry Thomas. Uh, and, and like thinking, like when he, you know, when, when E.T. dies, you know, at first and, um, and he starts crying and, and mm. the, the way his face looks. And I remember thinking like, wow, that's like a plastic thing, you know, like some fake plastic doll inside some movie set with, you know, he's surrounded by lights. Right. And like that seemed less realistic that he could be on a movie set acting that way than it did that, you know, E.T. was real and, and actually died in that, you know, like, like that was yeah. harder for me to get around that, that he could somehow do that. Yeah. You know, uh, and um, and for all of his technical magic, you know, for be able to get that that moment from any actor, you know, uh, um, forget that it was a kid. Um, There's a great YouTube video of Henry Thomas's audition where oh my he God. breaking he made... down in tears. So it was there wow. from the start. Wow. No, I mean, wow. uh, he he uh, he caught thunder. I mean, he caught lightning yeah. with that. Yeah. Uh, it was just um, it was just incredibly moving. And then just, you know that was that that was our life you know he, yeah. he he brought something that was just happening right around us and yeah. made it into greek mythology you know he made it into something like that you know that that you read out of out of books and this was just our normal dumb suburban yeah. bike riding life 
and action drunk- figures but and here's lando calrissian you know and here's the shark right. attacking the fish tank like that it felt <laughs> like our lives as kids you know that was 80s childhood yeah the 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 friends getting together for the D D game and um the whole thing you it's, know it's like um, what stranger things is trying to do nostalgically yeah. now it, he spielberg caught it in real time yeah it's the science fiction movie that frank capra would have made uh, if he were oh, making good. science fiction movies. And let's also mention Drew Barrymore yeah. and that wonderful scene where she opens the closet and there he is. <laughs> yeah. Screams. I love <laughs> when he's uh, getting, when, when they sort of share that telepathic connection and, you know, Elliot's uh, getting drunk in the, cl- in the classroom while E.T.'s like bumping into the refrigerator while drinking, uh, <laughs> <laughs> staggering around. <laughs> just, you, I, the humanity and the emotion and the the family friendliness of it just uh, is something you you don't see now. I mean, what, can you think of a recent movie uh, that uh, skews as wide as E.T.? No, and in fact, in fact, the ones that come to mind remind me of E.T. Like Wally is E.T. Like the way that's mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. shape looks like your short circuit. Or there's been so uh-huh. many ones that uh-huh. that remind you of E.T. that came out after. Right. Yeah. Um, and that John Williams score. I've interviewed many composers. You know that are not composers, conductors that conduct that E.T. theme. Um, Emil Deku and Stephen Reinecke. You know they do the NSO at Wolf Trap and Kennedy Center, and they all say that that E.T. score is like it is working mm-hmm. on levels that I don't even understand as as a movie guy yeah. they say it works on yeah. levels uh, uh compositional wise what wasn't that uh the quiet man that uh et was watching uh yeah. while he was uh, drinking you know a john ford movie <laughs> and the yep, film john ford <laughs> comes in again go. here we go the third line continues. John ford. Once yeah again <laughs> it is just Love it, it. Is, it's amazing pizza if you're not crying by the time that he says i'll be right here and they say ouch and touch their heart oh my god well i I think one thing that you need to be mentioned about et is that um it's sort of this dividing point for um gen x parents and their kids because if you like show that to your kids and they don't like it you really don't want to hang out with them anymore Uh, you're like you're, you're wondering like you know Am I your parent? You know, should you live in this house? Should I keep buying you food? You wonder whether you no. want to get divorced from your own kids over here. Yeah, YouTube. yeah. Just, you know, they're like, oh, I was bored. I was like, get the hell out of here. Uh, it's, a, it's a great movie, and it, it still holds up in, in my book. All right, well, we could go on and on about E.T. forever. It is just great. Um, but what did you what'd you guys – I want to get your guys' take on uh, 1985's The Color Purple, obviously the Alice Walker novel. Um, it was – to me, the big breakthrough is, you know, Whoopi Goldberg's big breakthrough role. You got Danny Glover before we- Lethal Weapon. I think it still well, holds. Again, emotion and family and family uh, uh, brought apart and coming back together and overcoming uh, adversity and uh, and emotional, emotional and and satisfying. Yeah, perfectly said about the emotional and the the mm-hmm. I think um I think some critics have dinged it for like, you know, maybe in hindsight, it, you know, if a black filmmaker today took on the material, maybe it would wouldn't seem as, you know, maybe stereotypical or sentimental or or you know, the Spielberg touches of overly sentimental or whatever. Um but it's still got 11 Oscar nominations. I think it's still like the record with the most nominations without winning winning one. I I think um it but yeah, I mean, you can criticize it all you want, but I still think it was a landmark moment for diversity at the time it yes. didn't get a nomination for director am i correct good point 
I, uh, I believe it did not. I think yes, you're, you're right. right. No, no, noticeably, not. it was Best Picture and Best Actress and a bunch of other stuff, but that not rarely directly. happens where you get, I, I imagine that there are not many cases where a film has gotten more than 10 nominations and not gotten a director nomination. Uh, and I remember my father doing a piece on, um, on the news about uh, what he thought the, uh, what was the Academy's, um, uh, not liking Spielberg, you know, and 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 shutting him out, um, you know. Uh, there was a lot of that back then. Yeah, yeah, and it was a, um, you know, it it that, that's a that's a tough one, right? It's also uh, it's one of his few films without John Williams, mm -hmm. uh, and you could say that John Williams kind of smooths over a lot of the the or 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 they inspire mm -hmm. each other, uh, and they and they kind of like. Um, they they know each other's rhythms, you know. Uh, Quincy Jones did the soundtrack for that. No, no, uh, but of course, um, you can't dismiss that movie uh, chiefly because of those performances. Uh, the performances in that film across yeah. the board were just, um, including were, were Oprah. Just Let's yeah, not forget, Oprah. Oprah is quite good in that, as well as Whoopi Goldberg. But yeah, it, Oprah. And Danny Glover is Danny terrifying. Glover. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he's terrifying in that movie. And and um, and I I remember the the visuals of that film. You know, this was a case though. You know that. You know, I, I think that you would like to see what an African American filmmaker and and right. particularly mm -hmm. an African American mm -hmm. uh, woman. Uh, right. would do with that material, and there's just no way around that. You know, and that's not necessarily to knock. You know his skills, but, and, and it was not necessarily a conversation that we were having at that time, but uh, I think it remains true that that's a film that, that um, would be richer uh, with the voice of an African-American woman behind the camera. Well, I, th I, the, I think what you can say is, is it, it is sentimental and somewhat stereotypical, uh, but it paved the way yep. for, for what is to come and for what we are seeing, which is a more genuine, um, not so sentimental, um, you know, or response. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, and that's always sort of the case when, when we look at these movies, like, uh, like the color purple is you kind of have to look through the lens of the time and we can criticize and critique from in hindsight. Yes. I mean, I, if we could have like an Ava DuVernay or a D Reese, or, you know, it'd be interesting to see what a, what a black female. And, and they weren't do. available. They weren't around. Right. Well, you gotta remember yeah. Spike Lee was just bubbling up at this time. So right. yeah. four, this is four years before do the right thing. So, you know what I mean? Like, so mm -hmm. yes, mm -hmm. we got to kind of look in the context of where we were. In, it's in it's interesting though, that he took on, um, you know uh, the black experience and what you could call the the um, the the American Holocaust of slavery before he mm -hmm. took on yeah. Jew, you know, Jewish uh, identity and 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 the Jewish Holocaust that he he obviously wanted to get towards that subject but I don't think he was ready yet to take on uh, his his Jewish story yet. Um, great point. So I think it's interesting. That is a really great point, and and the fact that he didn't get, didn't get nominated for director, I will, I do have, I will give Spielberg one shout out directing wise. There's that shot that's burned in my brain of, of it's Whoopi Goldberg's uh, silhouette, her shadow up, sorry, her shadow up against the wall. I think reading reading a book. Uh, so yeah. there, there's some cool shots in that. Um, but yeah, wow, good point mm -hmm. about the mm -hmm. the hadn't got to his own Holocaust yet. Yeah.
Um, all right, we're gonna we're gonna move ahead pretty. Uh, we're gonna skip a couple because we're, there's no time to go into all this. But you know, Empire of the Sun, and then we mentioned Last Crusade. Always Hook. Um, he did several there in those next couple years as we went into the late '80s, early '90s. But the next big one in '93 um, is Jurassic Park. Um, oh. Man, I'm talking. Um, yeah. If if you want to chart wow. the if you want to chart film history like visual uh, effects like the time yeah, the timeline yeah. to me is King Kong in the stop motion right in thirty three uh, uh, and then the next big ground I mean I guess you could say Star Wars but to me in terms yeah. of like creature features I think of King Kong in thirty three and then ninety three with Jurassic Park when when yeah, the yeah. stop motion miniatures the Phil Tippett stuff starts giving way to you know the the CGI Peter. and then you had the robotics and to me man as much as adventurous and all that it, it is uh, Spielberg has two of the most the scariest scenes of all time with that T Rex paddock and the Raptor kitchen. Uh, so um, what were you guys' and thoughts on Jurassic Park? The, the footsteps on the ground and, and the water uh, shaking. Yeah. You know, it's it's almost the stuff he does before you see the CGI that, right. that's scary. And, of course, the sound and uh, seeing that at the Uptown Theater and the audience just screaming. It was, it was, uh, it was, what an impact. What a movie. <laughs> you remember, you know how they got that that ripple effect, right? They put like a guitar string uh, up <laughs> underneath it and someone was plucking oh, yeah. it under the car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, um, you know, in, in some respects, you know, that was that movie was uh, Pandora's box that uh, was opened and then six million terrible, terrible CGI movies oh, came shooting right. out of it. Yeah. Including you know, its own um, sequels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. They, they just, oh. it seems like um, we were all in wonder of that movie and it was, and you know, we were, we were fortunate that one of the first examples of big CGI was in such skilled hands. But yeah. then it just kind of buried the movie. The Star um, Wars effect. And yeah. and yeah, and again, you know, it, it's an interesting thing with Spielberg because it's similar to the summer blockbuster effect, right? That that um, and sometimes, even when his movies are good, they kind of end up damaging movies. Sometimes, you know, and I, I think that I, I think that you can't deny that all you know? the imitators and, and the knockoffs. It, yeah, it, like Pandora's box is a perfect way to put it. Um, yeah, and uh, the that Avatar was, Pandora yeah. box. <laughs> right. right, and 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 I think that that's what I think of often uh, when I think of that movie. Um, Along with once again those two, uh, you know, little kids of divorced parents being stalked mm -hmm. in a in a kitchen, yeah. and Doctor right? Grant, right. not Doctor Grant's character arc, right, not wanting, learning to want to be be a father, yeah. and in the beginning yeah. he doesn't want to. Spiel, that's Spielberg's thing, man. But, but yeah. also just like um, he's done a lot of cruel things to kids. Uh, <laughs> <in this> movie, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, kids have really taken the brunt of a lot of his um of uh of the terror uh yeah. in his uh in his movies yeah. and um turn the light off <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah no it's true it's true um and now I wanna, which is um, the one where the dinosaur knocks the uh you know the the gas station with the 76 the ball and well, that was uh, two that was the second yeah. one but if 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 that isn't a Spielberg inspired shot I don't know <laughs> what is I think he probably yeah. drove around LA saw that 76 thing he said one of these days i'm going to get something to knock that ball down <laughs> and see it roll down right. the street 
Yeah, and the first one, he's like, I, I want to get the uh, a, a bathroom to fall over and a guy to get eaten by a T-Rex on the toilet. <laughs> right. So there are comedic moments, I guess. Or, yes. or Jeff Goldblum, that's one big pilot. I've always <laughs> felt that, you know, one of the best aspects of the Jurassic Park uh, movies was watching people's vacations get ruined. Uh, <laughs> you know, I can never afford to go on vacation, so right. those bastards are going to go on one. I might as well have them all get eaten. But yeah. it kind of captured that theme, that first one at least, kind of captured that Disney World theme park. Uh, oh, imagine yeah. if it breaks, even Goldblum says, right? Yeah, but if the Pirates of the Caribbean breaks down, the, the pirates don't eat the tourists. Right. But, yeah. or, or, or he goes, there are dinosaurs on your uh, dinosaur tour. Hello. Uh, but of course, tour. you know, that same year was Schindler's List. Yes. And those two statements, right, are, are, you know, no filmmaker will ever make two statements on the same year, uh, you know, as loudly and profoundly as uh, as those two films now whether that was end... that's the one he was working toward you are yeah. absolutely right yep. yeah i mean whether in the end those films will necessarily stand up as his as his best work but i think that 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 for him to do them in the same year uh i think that that they were like the pinnacle at least of his of his yeah. early uh yeah. career you know that that was where he 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 hit the mountaintop yeah, are now, you ever going to have I a better one-two punch of a summer blockbuster and an acclaimed Oscar-winning award season movie no. than that? I mean, I, I, I dare anyone to top that. No, <laughs> no it'll never One happen. thing I noticed during Schindler's List is it's about that time that I met Susan Spielberg, who's mm. Steven Spielberg's sister ah. and lives in Silver Spring. Who and knew? She started, she started coming to all of his premieres, including Schindler's List, and uh, as in the run-up to the Oscars, she let me come over to her house, and she showed me the dress that that Stephen had bought for her to wear to the Oscars. Wow! Oh, wow! That's so, That's a cool local connection. So that you know, there there's your family again. Yeah, I, and you mentioned Susan the might be the youngest. Oh, that's such a cool connection. That's awesome. Yeah. That's good yeah. local trivia there. Silver and Spring. Spielberg came through the red carpet, and I said, oh, you know, I just interviewed your sister, and she showed me what she's going to wear to the Oscars. And he just kind of turned his head to the side and rolled his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, uh, that, that movie uh, had its world premiere in Washington, D.C. Yes. So that, was, that yes. was the event that you were at. Um, yes. Now that movie also marked um, his first collaboration with um, Janusz Kaminski, mm. who would become one of his most significant yeah. collaborators as a cinematographer. You know, I don't think he's done a film without him since that movie. Uh, that, black, and, uh, that black and white guys, right? And, yeah, and then with the, yeah. the choice, what about Oliver? What do you make of that choice to have the the little girl in the red coat when when you when you first see it, you're like, what what is that about? And then the payoff, oh, it knocks you out. Well, I mean, um, you never forget it. I yeah. mean, again, you know, we, we you can't talk about Spielberg, right, without talking about audience manipulation and playing the audience like a, um, you know, like an orchestra or a fiddle, you know. And I think that obviously he's he had done that so many times to, um, you know, great rousing effect. Obviously, earlier in that year, yeah. but to do it uh, in a profound moment of uh, contemplation and loss you know but still just as manipulative right yeah. um and uh and you know whether whatever you think of that it's burned into your mind forever you know uh and and you sort of can't i i've never been able to get that image out of my out of my mind and 
it's also worth noting, right? That was also around the same time that um, colorization was a great, uh, you know, matter of debate. And Ted Turner, I you know, all, owned all of these um, movies and was colorizing oh, them for television. And what everyone... did Orson Welles said, tell Ted Turner to keep his damn Crayolas off my movie. Yeah, um, <laughs> I remember seeing uh, uh, Ted Turner's um, version of. Um, Yankee Doodle Dandy in color. And uh, <laughs> I, I think that, you know, I think George M. Cohan would have approved, right? I think that, um, you know, uh, it was a, it was a showman thing to do for a showman movie. Yeah. And uh, and whenever I watch the movie now, I miss Ted Turner's, you know, uh, uh, Crayola version. They did it with uh, but, It's a Wonderful Life too, and maybe Miracle on uh, 34th Street. Yeah, yeah the, none of those uh, colorized versions are floating yeah. around anymore. Um, but, but the uh, black and but, white of Schindler, guys. I mean, it is like you're saying, Oliver. That it's burned in my brain. Uh, many images. I mean, there's like the the ashes, you, you, or you think it's snowflakes, and it turns uh, into ashes. Yeah. There's the moment yeah, yeah. you you think you're worried they're going to be going into a gas chamber, but thank God the release of oh, it's just a shower. At least for now, um, the John Williams violin score, arguably his most you know tear jerking score ever. Obviously, giving the Holocaust subject matter. Um, but guys, also, also, guys, I want to say the three the performances. Liam Neeson's best performance, Ray right. Fine's best performance as Eamon Goth, the terrifying villain. Ben Kingsley, I mean, maybe argue. I mean, Gandhi may be better, but I mean, uh, the three of those performances in one movie is just unbelievable to me. Well, I recall that movie as introducing the world to uh, to Ray Fines, who has been um an incredible actor uh, during my lifetime. He yeah. able to do anything. His his comedy is um, is tremendous. Uh, his ability to do almost anything. But the fact that his first film yeah. was so terrifying, oh. and um, and every and and um, and he it, and so powerful. Yeah. Um, but and he's um, taking a leak in the morning, goes out on his balcony with a sniper rifle, snipes a, 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 a inmate at the concentration camp, then goes back to peeing again. It, it's terrifying. Right. It's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, and by the way, a plug for the, the following year, he does Charles Van Doren and Quiz Show. I mean, come on. Right. But, um, but yeah, so yeah. you guys, Arch, you mentioned the red carpets and, and what the sister's going to wear to the Oscars. So this was <laughs> the big moment, right, guys? You said it was all building to this. He wins, finally wins Best Director, and it wins Best And that Director. put an end to all of that stuff that Oliver was talking about. Yeah. Hollywood didn't like Spielberg. Well, think about it. Hitchcock never won Best Director either. And, and I think right. this, this happens throughout history. You know, the, the great, you know... Filmmakers for the masses, the you know Hitchcock was dismissed similarly as Spielberg, you know, just making popcorn. Well, Spielberg movies. was very commercial. Yeah, but well, that's the thing. It's like they wouldn't award him until he, quote unquote, grew up and did his yeah. adult uh -huh. movie, not yeah. for kids, you know, um, not for the masses. And there's a you know, again, uh, you know, that's that's interesting. It's it's and it's worth noting that that, that it wasn't you know it wasn't until his mastery was uh was used in service of seriousness, seriousness. you know that he was uh, able uh -huh. to to be looked at as a serious yeah. director you know while anyone who loved movies realized certainly by the time of his third film jaws that yeah. that he was you know a force mm. to be reckoned with Right, right, exactly. And the sequence saying the same thing. That's a perfect segue into Amistad. Amistad was uh, was oh, another huge. one. I guess you could call it in the line of, you know, similar to our color purple conversation. That's one. Mm -hmm. I Gosh, I think they 
like a substitute teacher put it on a you know in a class of mine or something you know it's one of those like right. teach students kind of a thing but any memories of that real quick well again uh, that made him a major target of spike lee and suddenly people were starting to say you know this guy should not be telling our stories uh and um and that that, that became an aspect um you know and it was almost the beginning of of what we're seeing now on twitter and uh, and this sort of um, a pushback against who's telling stories. Uh, and when you push back against, you know, one of the greatest storytellers that this country has ever produced, you know, it's serious. Um, again, you know, I think Le Color Purple would have been made no matter who had directed it. You know, it was a best-selling book with a yeah. with a big author. I'm not sure that's necessarily the same as Armistead. And I think he needed, at least at that time, the muscle that he had to get that movie made. Right. There was a Washington premiere at the Warner Theater. And uh, the premiere of Amistad was the first time I noticed like 40 or 50 television outlets all lined up. Uh, you know, until then, uh, it had generally been five or six. Right. Three or four local stations and Entertainment Tonight and somebody else. Right. Suddenly there were 50 people. And I think <laughs> the point is, it's amazing that Spielberg could get, uh, could uh, succeed with anything considering the expectations we put on him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and absolutely. If, and if you think about that, Arch, I mean... Um, you know, Sir Anthony Hopkins is the lead in that movie. I mean, they're not there for the movie mm -hmm. stars, right? You mm -hmm. know, uh, it wasn't um, it wasn't like uh, a Harrison Ford was in that movie. You know, um, well, he just won for six years earlier, though, right? With Hannibal, but Hannibal Lecter, but it wasn't right. Yeah, right. It, but he wasn't the yeah, like the Matt the box office draw in right, the same right. in the same manner. Right. All right. He wins again for Saving Private Ryan. Wins, wins Best Director, that is. But it should have mm -hmm. won Best Picture. Arch, what were your yes. thoughts on that with uh, Shakespeare in uh, Love? I, you know, I was out there that year, and people were, were, you know, saying, what? How did that happen? How is it not uh, Saving Private Ryan? Saving Private Ryan, you know, this <laughs> backstage at the Oscars, they said, this is the greatest mistake that's the greatest show on earth. Now <laughs> 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 he's coming around. <laughs> to Funny how that, that worked. <laughs> well, I, you know, there's everyone, of course, points to, um, you know, uh, the the um, the the back room uh, arm twisting mm -hmm. of uh, Harvey Weinstein in the campaign for um, uh, uh, Shakespeare and love, uh, but you also have to remember that. DreamWorks SKG had just started, and that was a DreamWorks picture. Right. So I think that there was a little pushback towards the the egos of those three men, you know, uh, in in that in that film that was uh, that was also a factor there. I think there was a you know slap on the wrist, not so fast, uh, kind of a you know now you know DreamWorks SKG is is sort of kind of forgotten in in, right. in, in with lore, uh, but you know. It was it was gigantic at the time. That's true. That's three years before sh they did Shrek. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. right. It was brand new kid on the blocks. It's similar to yeah. like a pushback against a Netflix or something. Right. Um, exactly. 
So, so yeah, but I, but I do think, you know, Spielberg got the last laugh on that one, right? Like to me, to this day, you can be, you know, Veterans Day, Memorial Day rolls around. I mean, Saving Private Ryan is one of those like, like Patton or, you know, whatever, Apocalypse Now. It's, it's one of the great war movies ever, if you ask me. Now, you, we could debate whether the bookends are necessary with the old man, you know, going to the cemetery. Uh, but that nothing can, no one can argue that D Day opening, the cinema verite no, there no. with storming the It's beach one of the greatest Tom. openings ever. Right? Yeah. I always think of that in Band of Brothers because it's Spielberg and Tom Hanks executive produced that mm-hmm. a couple years later for HBO. Amazing miniseries. Um, I always think of those two sort of as a piece. And man, there's just so many great scenes. The Barry Pepper sniping the sniper, you know, rest in peace, Vin Diesel in that scene. Uh, but so many great actors. And of course, they're all there to save Matt Damon uh, a year after Goodwill Hunting. It is, uh, it's one of the most powerful, a uh, uh, fan favorite of the war, war films, I think. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> moving right ahead into the 21st century. Arch wanted to mention AI, which came out uh, the the year before Minority Report. So we're starting to go sci-fi Spielberg again. So Arch, well, here's a real quick AI story. Again, just to remind you, uh, while we are uh, praising Spielberg, uh, uh, his sister came to the screening of AI in Washington, and um, you know, it, it goes through all this stuff and suddenly they're underwater and the kid is talking to the blue fairy and the audience started laughing and, and, and the, the screening was considered a, uh, a complete disaster and mm. people walked out of there shaking their heads saying, what the hell was that? Nobody, <laughs> nobody liked that movie at the time. Because I'm thinking, shh, shh, don't let his sister hear. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, Haley Joel Osment uh, had just yeah. done such a great performance in The Sixth Sense, oh. so I think a lot of people were trying to compare that to that. Too. No, I mean, I, I, you know, and again, um, there's been lots of wonderful uh, uh, child performances in Spielberg movies. There's one, I mean, there's there's quite a few in The Fablemans, including mm-hmm. um, uh, Julia Butters from um, from um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, who plays mm. your sister, I think, who, who later became mm. your uh, your source and friend, Art. Um, <laughs> and she's really good at it. Uh, she's really uh, good at it, too. She's an uh, excellent actress uh, or actor, as I should say. Uh, yeah. um, uh, but uh, that film, uh, it was a gut wrenching performance by uh, Haley Joel Osment, you know. Yeah. And again, it was perhaps the most sort of twisted and subversive use of the Spielberg face, you know, just being empty and asking for love for eternity, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. uh, and never dying and never fading. You I'll, know, I'll it, make uh, your drink just the way you like it. Mom. Yeah. No. And, and, um, and, and there being no you. motherly or fatherly love to return the adoration ever, uh-huh. you yeah. know, for eternity. Um, uh, obviously it was a film that was, you know, as the last film of of Kubrick and and uh, that that Spielberg finished, you know, it had um, hype like few others, and I think few other movies were more profoundly disappointing to everyone who saw. Yeah. Again, yeah. the movie has been reconsidered uh, in um, you know in the years since, but I think that movie, in terms of the response at the moment, rivaled 1941 in being a disappointment. Right, maybe one of those that we appreciate slightly more in hindsight than than in the moment when we were let down by. Well, it. isn't that the great thing about movies, though, that we can reconsider them? Yeah, yeah. And that now in this streaming age, I can be sitting here and turn on my uh, my my smart set 
and uh, and and just say, oh, there's a title I'd like. Let's let's look yeah. at that again. Well, heck, that was pretty good. That's so true. That's such a, that's uh-huh. such a great uh-huh. point. Again, we'll we'll skip around, but I wanted to plug Minority Report really quick. I thought that was a great neo noir with the pre crime and the pre cogs predicting future crimes. Tom Cruise realizes he, oh my gosh, I'm gonna commit a murder in the future. That can't be. And lo and behold, <laughs> it is. Thanks to Max von Sydow and that scene he has with mm-hmm. Colin Farrell. He's like, do you hear mm-hmm. that? Nothing. No clickety clack. Little spider. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Well, what'd you guys I, think of that? I think once again, uh, in the latter, in the in the latter uh, Spielberg, you have um, Tom Hanks and Tom Cruise, you know, being the two halves uh-huh. of Spielberg. Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, uh, you know, that movie took place in DC. Uh, and um, oh, yes, I, right. Yeah, and um, I remember that um, that part of it. Um, uh, and it was the way... his homage to Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah, well, it was a Philip K. Dick. It was a Philip K. Dick yeah. story, right? Yeah. It was yeah. he did Total yeah. Recall, and yeah, you know, it looked, it, it felt like he was um, going back, uh, you know, going back to the multiplex and getting out of the museum. You know, like he was no longer like going to going to be making just um, you know, films for the canon. You know, he was making movies for us again. He was making you know uh, Tom Cruise action sci fi movies. Right. After that, he does Catch Me If You Can, which was a fun movie with Leo, The Terminal, yeah. uh, War of the Worlds. And Terminal. But the to guy me... they, they based The Terminal on just passed away. Yeah, oh, It's that's the right. first reference to The Terminal I've seen since then. Didn't he die in an airport? <laughs> yeah, he yeah. did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, um, I have this very special place in my, uh, in my heart for, um, for Catch Me If You Can because... Yeah. Um, you know, after Leonardo DiCaprio mm. did um, uh, Titanic, it sort of seemed like the, the the childhood mischief that he had had as a young actor kind of slipped away from him. And yeah. he was never really able to get it back after the Titanic. And really the only film, you know, up until I think he did he did uh, Wolf of Wall Street, All that really got into that yeah. mischief and that sort of playfulness Mm-hmm. Of of Leonardo DiCaprio was was catch me if you can, you know this idea of just the whole world being a big scam, you know, uh, <laughs> um, and uh, I I really adore Leonardo DiCaprio in that in that movie and the way that he's he's used, and yeah. again, you know, it's another it's another divorce movie, you know, it's <laughs> a um, it's a very you know it's very much a divorce film. Absolutely. Uh, moving on, Munich probably is the next great movie he makes in in that run, right? In two thousand five, to me, I viewed it as um, it was almost like a post nine. You know, he'd done Schindler's List, but then nine eleven happens, and so here is Spielberg grappling with okay, now it's Jewish athletes being killed in Germany. Um, you know, by what was it Palestinians? Was it assassinated? Mm-hmm. The the famous Olympic. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned um Janice Kaminsky, the cinematographer. To me, Munich, I think, is has some of the coolest Spielberg shots you'll ever find. You know, like with there will be like a camera like on a reflection or in like a puddle of blood on the ground, or, or it'll start like at a phone booth and tilt to see a guy in a car and then tilt up to the window. Like there's so much cool uh shots going on. But did you guys enjoy Munich? Well, the, that movie, you know, similar to um to Schindler's List and uh, and Jurassic Park came out the same year as War of the Worlds, um, which um, was a movie that directly, I think, took on 9-11 and, and, and also right. took on divorce and the shattered family. Uh, and I think is a um, terrifically um, underappreciated 
uh, film in his in um and 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 like that movie you know um or like that like uh um the year with uh, Schindler's List you know it was a dividing point where he began a new partnership that would become one of his great partnerships with the with the writer Tony Kushner you know who wrote um mm -hmm. Munich uh and didn't write War of the Worlds uh I I've I love Munich I can watch it again yeah. and again uh you know I um I think so visually um, interesting yeah well and 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 I think the idea of of what you know appropriate response means you right. know um you know on a on a spiritual level and also just the set pieces in that movie are so entertaining I mean it's true with War of the Worlds too you yeah. know I I just think I I think um I haven't you know it's funny I haven't rewatched it uh uh recently because I'm sort of worried about that I might not like the politics of it or whatever but boy did that movie mean a lot to me at, at the, the time that it came out mm -hmm. and uh and um and again it ushered in uh this new era where you know he never has had an equal hand you know uh, an artist that has as much to say uh um and as and as definite a style as he does uh you know until he teamed up with with Tony Kushner who's written pretty much all of his scripts since that one yeah absolutely uh well guys i'm going to have to move a little faster through the end here <laughs> we'll skip we can skip right past the fourth indiana jones <laughs> yeah yeah um, please then, do and he did adventures of tintin uh and then warhorse was in, that was sort of like his uh, what's the Bresson movie the al hazard balthazar uh you know like past an animal getting passed along uh but i guess the next big one probably would be lincoln but just because purely because daniel day lewis won his third best actor oscar mm -hmm. he became mm -hmm. Lincoln. I know some people might find it slow. I remember watching it with my parents on the screen. Or <laughs> I'm leaning in, listening to those Lincoln, those Euclid lessons that you know. It's great Lincoln wisdom. Um, I don't think they needed the ending at Ford's Theater. They should have ended with him walking down the the hallway there on his way mm -hmm. to it. But any mm -hmm. thoughts on that movie? I, I think that I can't think. I, I'm I grew up in Washington D.C. as as you know. I can't think of a movie that is a better explanation of the process of lawmaking right. uh, uh, than that film. You know, I feel like like everyone remembers it as a sort of vanity project, you know, for uh, for this triumphant performance. But it's a movie about the 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 sausage making right. of um, of Washington D.C. lawmaking, and and I just find that fascinating and the fact That's that all point. of those all of those um congressmen were able to have distinct personalities and uh in a in the limited amount of time that they, that they <clears> did. <throat> and then again you know the costumes the craft work uh of that mm -hmm. film was just off the charts you know uh it was just um a, you, you can just sometimes just turn off the the words and just look at the things in his movies uh, and uh, and be blown away. And and we're getting closer to uh, Spielberg, the indie art <laughs> producer, yeah. rather yeah. than than the huge guy who doing E.T. and uh, and uh, Close Encounters. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then, yeah, because to, to your point, well, right after that, he does Bridge of Spies, which isn't a big blockbuster movie. It's almost like a his his version of like a Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy or something. You know, it's and Mark Mark Rylance wins an Oscar uh, for it. It was such an introduction to Mark Rylance, I, you know, and I've been a fan of his ever since. 
I like and Bridge that, of Spies a lot. That was a, I thought it was a really cool Cold me, War movie, yeah. especially knowing everything that you know would would enter our campaigns in the next year. Uh, that uh, that film was written by the Cohen the Cohen brothers, right? Uh, mm, and, right. Um, and it was really interesting. I mean, he, they've written a few scripts for other people. It's it, it's not that rare a thing, mm -hmm. uh, but it was interesting to uh, see the way that he handled the rhythms of their of their dialogue yeah, and, um, yeah. and of their scenes differently than than how they handle it uh, themselves. Um, but uh, yeah, I enjoy that. I, I enjoy that movie a lot. I, I like Cold War films, yeah. and and yeah. and we're also you know he had a distinct cold war period now you know where he's um where he's dealing with the idea of um of what war means psychologically uh <laughs> as well as as well as physically yeah i think an underrated gem in his in his filmography um follows we'll skip past the bfg that was another i guess more of a mainstream movie that kind of flopped at least from what i remember but the post after that i thought was a, a interesting sort of an all the president's men you know spotlight had just come out and then so spielberg yeah. gets to do the story of the what is it the pentagon papers it wasn't great per se but it was it was interesting i thought yeah but it, it was but it was in the shadow of those other films yeah well, it was I also... kind of feel that way about uh, She Said right now. Oh, it's really? Kind of a, probably shouldn't say that, but it's sort <laughs> of in the shadow of um, of the uh, of Spotlight. Yeah, yeah. I, I it definitely felt that way at the moment, and um, and it was weird to see. You know, you got the feeling that he was catching up with the trends rather than uh -huh, making them. Uh -huh. yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we had spent our lives with him deciding what was going on. And here it was seemed like, oh, these guys yeah. had a, you know, a big uh, journalism movie. Yeah. I want to make one of those. Right, you know? exactly. And, I need that um, in my canon. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So after that, he does Ready Player One, which I know some younger critics that are video game people oh. liked it. It didn't, eh, it didn't really do it for me. Yeah, and then, of course, terrible. West Side Story, which you mentioned earlier, you know, Ariana mm. DeBose wins mm. the Oscar. Great performance. Mm. Um, I thought it was it was a decent remake. Um, it, I know Arch, there, there's cool shots like the overhead shadows of the sharks and jets coming. But mm. I know Arch, me and you have, have we don't like that they move, moved. Uh, no. I feel pretty around. It kind of messes. With yes. It. Yes, uh, I, that was a, I, I, I think in a different time, his remake of West Side Story would have been much bigger yeah. than it was, uh, given that it was in the middle of the uh, of the pandemic when people weren't going to theaters or were just maybe thinking about going back to theaters. Yeah. And because of that, uh, the remake of something that's a classic uh kind of uh you know it was uh it didn't quite feel necessary yeah. i i taped the classic and watched it again and actually like spielberg's version a lot better well there you go <laughs> i i uh i remember um someone uh tweeting at the time that their um that their 14 year old niece had watched it and said um i don't understand why this nice trans boy wants to join a white nationalist gang <laughs> Um, Times you know, have changed, and, and and so it just there was some there was some aspect of it that just didn't fit the 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 modern mindset. Um, now the fablemans. So is yeah. Spielberg the fable man? Well, it it the you know it, it, it it's interesting are, because these are, are all these fables, fables that we've been talking about, right? Uh -huh. He has created the um the sort of 
Hans Christian Andersen, you know, the, the book uh -huh. of uh, uh -huh. of the stories of from where we learn our our morals and our ideas of family and um and of um and of terror uh and um and everything in between. And I think in some respects he is rooting that out for himself. Yeah. You know, um but I I feel you know in, in some respects, it was weird to see Spielberg taking on a teen movie and a, and a movie about um, teen uh, relationships. Uh, but uh, obviously, it was very important. And and I think anyone who is enjoying this podcast is going to enjoy that movie. Yeah. I'm well, with you. I appreciate you guys joining me. I, I had no idea we would literally go through all the movies in order. Uh, but you know what? I think you know what? I think that's that, that speaks to Spielberg's power. Not every filmmaker would, would we get so amped up and animated to talk about, but it is the most famous movie maker, at least of our lifetimes, maybe of all time in terms of sheer popularity. Um, and I do think in hindsight, for all any criticisms we want to make along the way, I do think in hindsight, people will look back and be like, wow, you know, Jaws is a great mm -hmm. movie. E.T. is a great Raider. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you list them all back to back, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. Have a great holidays, you guys. It was great to have a bonus time with you. So Arch much fun. It's always great to have Arch Campbell, Oliver Jones, and WTOP's Jason Fraley together. We'll have another brand new podcast coming up really soon. Thanks so much for listening.